Welcome to a storm of spoilers. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and if I could add a mythical creature to Fantastic Beasts 3, I would add the Gumbaroo. It is a Northern California football-sized bear creature. Uh, no, wait, bear-sized football creature. Google it. Bear-sized um, football It's a creature? Northern California thing, and I've never heard of it. That's amazing. Great. Oh, hi, I'm Joanna Robinson, uh, and if I were to add a mythical creature to the Fantastic Beaks, Beaks? Fantastic Beaks, and where to find them? The Fantastic Beast universe, it would be the New Jersey Devil, a flying creature with a high-pitched scream and a horse-like head native to the New Jersey Pine Barrens. I just want to hear Eddie Redman say the New, New Jersey Devil, that's all. <laughs> Um, and I'm Neil Miller, and if I were to add any character to Fantastic Beast 3, it would be a luck dragon, because for two reasons. One, that's my answer for almost everything. And two, it would improve the franchise immediately, which I think <laughs> is something that we're going to have to talk about. Oh, are we going to have to talk about? You're tuning in to our return to the wizarding world of J.K. Rowling. We've done a fantastic beast movie we've done the cursed child we are here for fantastic beast 2 the crimes of grindelwald uh did we see a movie with crimes of grindelwald did we see a movie on a completely different subject you're gonna find out this episode we're gonna have uh our first section talking about the actual movie that we saw and then the second part of our episode is going to be obviously very spoilery but talking about sort of the impact this has on the greater wizarding world slash probably in-depth answering some questions for Neil uh, about what the movie actually was. I have uh, a lot of political questions that I'm yes. going to need answers to before we leave here today. I have a lot of rhetorical questions that I'm going to use to probably rag on this movie, but we'll get to all those <laughs> questions. Uh, first of all, if you are a donator at our Patreon at patreon.com slash Star Wars spoilers at the Maester Small Council level, you'll get a bonus segment this week where we will recommend what to watch on Black Friday instead of standing in line at a retail store. This is media you could watch with your loved ones or by yourself. We're not judging. Everyone's life is thankful. Just leave those retail, <laughs> just, just leave those retail employees alone. They don't Everyone's need that. Everyone's life right. is. Everyone's life is thankful <laughs> this week. <laughs> Everything was evenly spaced out on my waveform. It makes me so happy. All right. Um, and then also uh, your weekly reminder that Con of Thrones will be taking place July 12th through 14th next year in Nashville. This will be directly after the final Game of Thrones season. We'll be there. People who work on the show will be there. People who run your favorite Game of Thrones related media will be there. Tickets are on sale now. Go check it out. All right. Joanna, what are you thankful for this week? Well, everyone's pretty thankful this week, but I'm especially thankful for a few things. Number one, our lovely in-house designer, Gustavo Villarreal, who has put beautiful merch up on our store. It is not too early nor too late to start shopping for your loved ones for the holidays if you feel like they need a storm of spoilers shirt they can find it on our merch store chaosislit.com that's where you'll find all of our storm of spoilers shirts and beautiful enamel pins um i'm also grateful for our slack patreon secret movie club this month the theme was great turkey movies as in like 
movies that are so bad they're great. Our our lovely listeners picked Batman and Robin, so I think we're all really looking forward to watching that with them uh, sometime next week. And um, I want a quick shout out to my book club, which is currently our Storm Spoilers book club, currently discussing if Bill Street could talk currently reading Mary Poppins and currently considering what they're going to read next, which I will get to actually a little bit later in this very episode. Um, and with that, all of that out of the way, I'm also grateful for some reviews. Um, this one is from BCK, BCK one, one, three says bunch of nerds, five stars. And then just says, I like the pews. So <laughs> that's a strong stance. Strong stance. That's a response to one we got uh, last week, I guess. And then uh, this one from Gertlace68, five stars, a ray of sunlight in these dark times. I look forward to listening to this podcast every single week because we are living in such dark times. It's important to find things that bring us joy. And listening to Joanna David Neal talk about pop culture is one of the most joyful things I can think of. I genuinely hope that they are going to keep going after Game of Thrones ends and after the many spinoffs end. Thank you for everything. Keep the good work. Uh, Gert, P.S. My absolute favorite thing every week is hearing Joanna do the pew pew. I didn't pre-read this. Hearing Joanna do the <laughs> pew pew noise when Dave and Neil start the storm chasing segment. It makes me laugh every single time. So thank you guys. I am grateful for those reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this thing is, but I'm not doing it. I just want you guys to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only going to get worse from here on out for you, Neil. Okay. So, Neil, what time is it? <laughs> um, well, Dave, it's time to go storm chasing. Pew, uh, pew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, this is the segment where pew, we talk pew, about pew, which, <laughs> which movie, book, show, story, podcast, or in my case this week, audiobooks, plural, what well. are we talking about this week? Uh, I will start uh, really just talking about the two books that I am starting to read over the holiday. I think, you know, I've watched a few things, but nothing no, nothing's really felt like a storm that I'm chasing. But this week is the anticipation of chasing down one of the great vol- voluminous, voluminous, voluminous. 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 One of the great voluminous authors of our time, George R. R. Martin, has come out with a new book called Fire and Blood. And I'm starting, I'm going to do the audio version. This is me saying that we are going to be doing an episode on it at some point, which we'll talk about at some point later. Um, but I'm also going to read, uh, Lane Moore's book, How to Be Alone, because I follow Lane Moore on Twitter and I find her to be very funny and interesting. And, uh, I look forward to reading or I guess listening to someone, maybe her, who knows, read uh, her book. So there's that. That's what I'm, it's a, it's an anticipatory chase of the storms, um, which I think Joanna, yours might also be somewhat anticipatory. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So a couple things. Number one, I have read fire and blood. I have a piece up on vanityfair.com. Fancy. I have a piece up on vanityfair.com right now that has like sort of a reader's digest, like kind of the Game of Thrones, the Easter eggy stuff that you'll find in the book, like some hints about like where Daenerys' dragons come from or, um, 
uh, you know, there's like a nice Tyrion Targaryen little Easter egg in there as well. So, you know, if that's, if, if that's the kind of thing you're looking for, I have that for you. That's, that's not me saying anybody who listens to this podcast would be interested in that. That's not me saying (laughs) you should not read Fire and Blood because of course you should. This is not meant to replace Fire and Blood. This is just supplementary. So I just want to put that out there. I don't want this to be like, I read Fire and Blood, so you don't have to. I am pro-reading. Buy George's book. Read it, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Uh, the other thing that I will be kind of looking at over the break is our, you know, the the book club that we do through um, the Storm of Spoilers Patreon is, you know, we pick a book that will be adapted into a film and that the idea that I had for December was to do something on King Arthur because uh, in January, Joe, Joe Cornish's movie about the, you know, which is like sort of like a kid's movie about the King Arthur legend with Rebecca Ferguson and Patrick Stewart as Merlin and blah, blah, blah is, is coming out. Uh, I love George uh, Joe Cornish. I love Rebecca Ferguson. I love Patrick Stewart and I love me some King Arthur. So I'm trying to figure out out right now what the best King Arthur book is for our book club to read right now I'm looking at John Steinbeck's adaptation of Thomas of Mallory's um, More to Arthur but uh, I have not really decided yet so if you have any suggestions about what is a good like introductory if you've never read an Arthurian legend sort of collection I took a course on this in, in university so in theory I'm qualified to talk about this but um, if you have any thoughts or, or opinions please do Send me a note in the Slack or tweet at me at Joe wrote this, uh, your King Arthur suggestions for our Star Wars Spoilers book club. Dave? As a king in it or a king in it, um, I might have talked about this before briefly in the side, but uh, King of the Hill, the uh, Mike Judge, Greg Daniel series, one of my favorite animated series, uh, I think, of all time. I had previously um, acquired all of the episodes uh, by both legal and non-legal means in order to have a complete set of King of the Hill in case it ever went off streaming, which it did. But luckily, it is back on Hulu, and I am back in Comfort Food City when it has been a long day and I need, like, three 20-minute somethings before I go to bed um, back in King of the Hill. Uh, something I noticed this time in my rewatch is that I think seasons two, three, and four are actually doing continuity, but because the stakes are so low in King of the Hill, which is just about a family in the fictional town of Arlen, Texas, um, you don't really notice that they're doing continuity, but it's a really interesting to sort of see uh, back in hand-drawn traditional animation days and uh, the early 90s, uh, what we thought was sort of like culturally on the edge uh, in terms of sitcom storytelling. So I've been, you know, doing it for comfort food, uh, but really picking up some new observations on the way, which is a good thing to do on a rewatch. Awesome. Yay. Yay. Kings. Yay. We did it. Yay. Kings. Yay. Hills. Yeah. Dragons. Yeah. Fires and bloods. Storm I was reading of Kings. I was reading a George, our Martin review when there was like, what's your favorite thing about fire and blood? And he's like, just the feeling of finishing a book. Yeah. Again. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> it was really sweet. like, I have to say like, we're going to talk, we're going to do a whole episode about fire and blood. 
I think opinions have already been decidedly mixed. Some reviews have been very negative. The thing that I would just prepare people for is like, just like a world of ice and fire, this is a history. Like this is meant to read as like sort of a dry or history. If you've read the Cimmerillion, it's the Cimmerillion versus, you know, the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Like, so I think people going in expecting this to be novelistic would be disappointed. If you don't go in expecting that, like it's still, I mean, I don't know. A lot of it is, is reprinted from some of the anthology works he published before a lot of it is reprinted from a world of ice and fire. So like you're going to get some repeats if you have read everything that George R. R. Martin has ever, has ever put forth. That being said, it's fun to just like dive back into his world and like, you know, you find stuff like this woman who's like the witch queen of Heron hall and all this like random cool stuff like that. So, um, I enjoyed just my like time whoever, spent there. <laughs> whoever's going to be competing for all of the great debate topics. Next year at Con of Thrones, you're, you're discovering those characters now. The next oh, yeah, book, yeah. Stannis is in there. The deep cuts that people, <laughs> yeah. If you want to, if you want to bring up the deep cuts when like someone, <laughs> like when someone at the Great Debates at Con of Thrones will bring up one of these characters, and then I'll sort of blanket them and be like, "Oh yeah, tell me more about that person that I definitely remember from A World of Ice and Fire." <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, these these are a million different Targaryens, all with like A names and J names, but um. Anyway, I just, I just want to temper expectations. And I'm also just like, like Dave, just genuinely like happy for George that like he has a book in his hand with his name on it that he finished, that he got to do like a book event in, in New Jersey last night with John Hodgman and like speak to his fans. I mean, like that's what he wants to be doing, not like beating his head against the wall at home because he can't finish his other book. So I'm, you know, enjoy it, George. You, you deserve it. And from one person taking great joy at expanding his canon in a purposeful Mm. way to somebody who attempted the exact same thing. (laughs) We will talk about Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crabs of Grindelwald, right after this short break. I I heard that as The Crabs of Grindelwald. (laughs) (laughs) And now I want to call it Fantastic Beaks, colon, The Crabs of Grindelwald. No? Okay, great. Okay, I'm keeping that as the start of this segment, uh, for, because, uh, you're, it's interesting, it's an interesting movie, this movie. Is it? Um, the reason I kind of want to, okay. <laughs> well, I want to say this really quick. Uh, oh, no, wait. Wizarding, Can I wizard- something okay, really yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I think all three yes. of us have some, uh, constructive and possibly not so constructive feedback to give this movie i'm also aware of the fact that some of our listeners saw this movie and loved this movie so i don't want like i don't know sometimes it's not fun if i loved a movie to tune in listen to three people trash it i i will say for myself i do have some high points that i can like hold on to in this film and and though sometimes those high points make the mess that is the rest of the movie even more frustrating for me. Um, but if you, if you love the movie, there will be some discussion in here. I promise of things that I liked about the movie. Um, that's my promise to you. All right, Dave, take it away. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I don't think there it's, this is entirely bad. I'm more talking about how it puzzles me as why it yeah. exists as a movie, as an ongoing serialized installment of not one, but two stories. This movie's trying to tell, I'm totally into the idea of following both of those storylines. What I'm confused about is that uh, J.K. Rowling is not a screenwriter and, you know, kind of got shoved into the first one. It's like, here's her debut screenwriter. She's talked to Steve Cloves enough. She knows what she's doing. But then you end up with 
like entire scenes in this movie that forget like really basic cornerstones of what makes drama. Like a character should go into a scene and then come out of a scene having like something having been changed. There's a whole bunch of scenes in here that feel like they're moving characters from place to place and actions happen simply in order to motivate the character to go to another place. That is just an example of bad storytelling. So it's like from, I I haven't read fire and blood, but it's a history which has a lot of good facts and maybe those facts are interesting and maybe those facts have been interpreted by different maesters in different ways and therefore aren't actual facts all of that is great when it's presented in the correct way. This play is like a Saturday morning serial, which means it's propulsive from set piece to set piece, but each set piece doesn't necessarily logically connect to each, the next one, which gives this the illusion of like eating way too much fucking candy. So like, you're like, Oh yeah, sweet. A Kelpie. It's an underwater beast. I wonder if we'll ever see that again. You won't, but you're like, you've enjoyed that time that you've, you've spent with it. And you're like, Oh cool. Some like magical cats that are in this Paris library we're in for some reason they go f- so fast through. It doesn't really matter. Like the magical cats are cool. I don't know why we're there, but we aren't there for long enough really to stop and notice. This movie felt really long, even though it has about the same runtime as the other fantastic beasts because it doesn't build on the characters that we're introduced to in Fantastic Beasts, really. Zoe Kravitz is there, and Lettuce Lestrange is there, but I'm not sure we get any more from her and from Newt than we did just off Newt in the first movie. Um, so it's not that this movie's, like, bad. I did not not enjoy watching it. It's just after I got out, not only because of, like, the twist at the end, <clears throat> I was like, exactly what was the purpose of a the title of this movie i'm not quite sure if grindelwald like does that many horrible crimes he kills some people yeah but he killed some people at the beginning of the first one and that one was just fantastic beasts and then like to what the purpose of telling this installment is it feels like a hard (laughs) pivot into the story she really wanted to be telling all along and it's a pivot it doesn't make successfully or it doesn't make for me as someone who's used to harry potter being this like semi-organized way of presenting a myth another year at hogwarts another year of teenage things here are the sets that we're dealing with let's see how they you know bounce off each other this one just doesn't have the narrative uh, through line that the Harry Potter story did. And if it does, it's something it made up at the end of this movie and is going to choose to follow for three more instances. Um, uh, thank you so much, Dave, for all of that. I, uh, sorry, it's weird to say thank you. I just, <laughs> I wanted to let you know that I heard all of that. <laughs> well, thanks, thank Dave. You, sir. May I have another? Now over to you, Todd. No. <laughs> Thankful for that, Dave. Um, so I, I just, I want to assume, uh, that we gave a spoiler warning that we were going to talk about everything in Fantastic Beasts, right? To be? Well, we can now. Uh, okay. We didn't, but we could we're do that now. We're going to talk about everything in Fantastic Beasts. But presumably, if you're listening to this, you already watched it or don't care. Um, <clears throat> but I want to identify like a few things that Dave said, like, um, 
you know, when you talk about characters being moved from one thing to another just because they need to, I think the most frustrating example of this in this movie, like the the way that this movie, movie rubs a lot of people, including myself, the wrong way is its treatment of the character Queenie, who was like a big favorite in the first movie. And here we see Queenie like switch over to the dark side in a very confusing span of just sort minutes. of out of apathy out of like nowhere like like <laughs> she's theory, just sort of bored and then she goes to the dark side it's not bored she's like in theory what they're trying to tell us is that she's isolated and she gets like lost thinks- in a park once <laughs> no she gets yeah she gets lost in the rain and maybe if she had found her boyfriend in that moment she wouldn't have gone to the dark side but like that she's she's confused she's isolated she, like her boyfriend calls her crazy in his mind she's not talking to her sister like and if you want to draw a parable about or parallel to like i don't know the, the alt-right and recruitment or any cult in recruitment and how like you know they they find isolated um people who feel misunderstood like the Queenie story could be good if they had actually devoted enough screen time, if they had a planted any seeds at all for it in the first movie, b given enough screen time to it in this movie or c had this switch over happen in the third movie. Cause they've got like what three more movies to go or four, something like that. Like they have so much more yeah, someone story reminded me the to go. That it's not a trilogy that it's actually yeah. five movies. It's and so like, so why <laughs> so the fact them. that, so the fact that another dead. So the fact that this Queenie switchover happened in this movie is like completely baffling to me. Um, and so a lot of, you know, that, that they give Queenie and Tina no screen time together, zero, not one scene in this movie when that relationship, those sisters was so important in the first movie is just like, you know, that she would go over to the dark side without even talking to her sister first is. Uh, bananas. Terrible, terrible, terrible storytelling to me. Um, also, in theory, right, Queenie, well, not in theory, we've seen it, she can read minds. Can she not read Grindelwald's mind? If she can read his mind, then like, why would Queenie ever be duped by what he says to her? If she can't read his mind, isn't that something that should have been established? Like, uh, see, here's the dangerous thing about what this movie's hinting at, what the future story is. This series is going to be a Hitler apologist series. Like, there's no way, because you're right, in the this world, Queenie could read Grindelwald's mind, and the only thing is that at this point, he's still the quote-unquote for the greater good Grindelwald, who's trying to stop World War World I. War II, right? Um, when that turn... Yeah. World War Two. Sorry, yes, you're correct. So it's like when that turn happens, uh, like I don't. It's going to be about his relationship to the Dumbledore family. It's not going to be about his beliefs in the wizarding community. Like for, I, th- I have the feeling that Rowling thinks she's told that story. She wants to do like something else, and I think she's accidentally going to backpedal into like nice. apology. Nice. Um, That's exactly where we all want this to end. So yeah. Uh, like yeah, a couple of things like I um I I still really really like um Eddie Redmayne as Newt Scamander. I still really really like that performance. Um but like this this doesn't seem to be now uh as as like minimally as it was in the first movie. This really does not feel feel like it's Newt Scamander's saga like his story at all this is grindelwald versus dumbledore with like a sheen of newt scamander over it and i don't know if that was her intention when she started that feels like where we are i really disliked all of the th- like not even the final twist which i had had 
you know, spoiled for me willingly and like I asked someone to tell me what it was, but like, um, not even the final twist, but that like everyone, you know, that like Professor McGonagall needs to be at Hogwarts despite the fact that like according to JK Rowling, previously she was born in 1935 or something like that. So like Minerva McGonagall should be like 10 when this movie came out or, um, you know, like, you know, Connor McLaggen, like there's, there's a student named McLaggen, like every, every person needs to be connected to someone in the Harry Potter franchise or else we're going to get bored for a second. And I just don't think that that's an interesting way to tell a story. What I do admire about the first movie is like whatever problems I have with it is that it like really did seem to try to make something new. And whether or not I liked that, I admired that it was like something new-ish, you know? And when you start connecting everything to Dumbledore as much as I love Jude Law in this, which he was just like exquisitely lovely. But like when you start desperately trying to connect everything, it just feels like a really sweaty kind of prequel, you know, according to me anyway. Um, like what other sorts of uh, prequels do that sort of over-reliance on familial things? Oh, I wasn't that? trying to set myself up for that, but I will say that like, um, <laughs> no, I thought that there was a good, okay. So the twist at the end of this movie, quote unquote twist, whatever, uh, lie, probably, it's probably not true. I don't know. Is that Grindelwald tells, um, Credence, that's his name, right? Ezra Miller's character that he's actually like, Credence long- Barebone. That's Credence, his whole name in the credits. Credence. Credence Barebone Dumbledore. Barebone. That he's actually a Dumbledore, uh, and not a Lestrange as you're led to believe for part of the movie. And, um, and so, you know, so anyway, so, so Grindelwald tells him that obviously like Grindelwald wants him to believe this, whether or not we believe that that is true. This is what Grindelwald needs Credence to believe. And he, I think he thinks that if he can like use Credence in that way, he can destroy Dumbledore, which is what he needs to do. Um, and, and like Dumbledore says something in the movie about, um, you know, with a, it's obscurial, right? Like someone has to be sacrificed mm-hmm. in order to save them. So I think, I think Grindelwald is like baking on Dumbledore sacrificing himself in order to save Credence and that, that takes Dumbledore off the board. But like, we know because we've seen other movies and read other books that that's not going to happen. But anyway, yeah, I just don't think this Grindelwald guy is going to win. Yeah. Something tells me, but like, okay. So, so what, what, uh, Dave was softballing to me was this, this, there's a piece over on the Hollywood reporter that I thought was quite good comparing the conversation around the last Jedi and Ray's parentage and the fact that like Kylo Ren says to her, like, you know, you're nobody, your parents are nobodies or whatever, but not to me, et cetera, et cetera. And how fans are refused to believe that we might find out that's not true in the next movie. I don't know, but like it's. Which I'm going to go on record again and say that if we do find that out, that's the biggest mistake JJ Abrams has ever made in his entire but, career. You know, Sorry, but also ahead. thanks. I didn't want to shave my beard anyway. Thanks JJ. Right. Uh, hashtag save Neil's beard 2019. <laughs> but, um, the, you know, the need to connect one thing to another, the need for Ray to be someone is one kind of storytelling. The need for Credence to be a Dumbledore or a Lestrange or whatever is, is one kind of storytelling. And I think the stronger storytelling is what I believe Ryan Johnson was trying to do before maybe JJ Abrams undoes it, which is to say, like, genuinely, no, Ray is nobody. And, the her story is worth following too. It's worth following Newt Scamander's story, even if it's not about Dumbledore or other things. You know, if this all ends with fucking Harry Potter being born, I'm just going to be so bored. And, you know, I just, I, 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that was coherent at all. Neil, what are your thoughts on the subject? Um, well, it's interesting because you guys pointed this out to me, uh, the other day, the whole Star Wars Ray fan service thing with this article from, where is this article from? The Hollywood Reporter. The Hollywood Reporter, yes. Yes. Um, here's why I'm not worried about that. Because I think JJ Abrams has this thing and, and Dave pointed this out with Fantastic Beasts. There's, there's like a, there's a dramatic grace or like a narrative choreography that exists in screenwriting that doesn't exist when you're writing a novel. When you're writing a novel, you're inside people's heads. Um, and uh, especially when you're writing, you know, like, like we've been talking about with what George did with the world of ice and fire and then fire and blood, where it's like, you're not even really telling like a singular story. You're just telling a bunch of different, you're just putting a bunch of different stories out there in various completed forms. There's a big difference between that and what like they do when they make a movie, like a real movie. Um, in that <laughs> there is like, there's a, there's a gelling of, the storylines. And I think it's interesting that we came back to this point about when they did the first Fantastic Beast, they kind of created, uh, several new characters. They tried to do some new stuff. And I thought Newt is a really good, interesting character. And I thought that there was a good story for Newt in this second movie, but it was frustratingly ignored. Like the, this whole idea of like Newt not wanting to be a, a soldier. Um, and the fact that Newt is like, he's, you know, he's pretty much on the spectrum somewhere. Um, and he's, he's got a, a very specific, uh, you know, ticks in his personality. But also one of them is that he's like this very inherently good character. Like he's just like the sweetest guy and he just loves his little beasts and he loves keeping them in his little suitcase and it's adorable. And I think that's what made the movie charming. And this whole movie is about Newt going through a big change. Um, and deciding that he's part of this war that his brother has been fighting. And so there's like this scene at the end, obviously, where Newt tells, you know, finally admits that he's chosen a side. And I was like, oh, well, that was the movie. Like, that's the movie that's hiding inside of whatever the hell yeah. the rest of this is. Because the rest of this is trying to tell us the history of Grindelwald and Dumbledore and how they used to make out a lot in, in school. And then now they can't because they did like a blood handshake. And like, there's just like a bunch of extraneous bullshit in this movie that I'm like, if they really are doing five movies, why did they have to do all of this all at once? Can't there just be like a middle movie? That's like a prequel about Grindelwald and Dumbledore. And we'll just let Newt keep putting these cute things in his case. Um, Cause every time the movie is about fantastic beasts, I actually really liked it. It's, it's, yeah. it's charming. And the other thing, this is, I guess, the other problem with having JK, uh, Rowling write this, which is the best stuff in this movie is when no one's talking. So it's like the, uh, you know, it's the action or it's the mannerisms of Eddie Redmayne when he's, um, doing the little squeaky toy with the big, uh, cat monster thing. So good. So, so great. Little moments that don't require mm -hmm. any dialogue. They don't require any necessarily screenwriting skill like you just need to get to that scene and then let the actors and the visual effects and all that do all the work the problem with this movie is every time somebody talks which is a problem because in movies people talk so um everything about grindelwald to me on top of just like the johnny depp of it all on top of that just not a great story and also it feels like um jude law's dumbledore 
has a much better movie going on in his life, but we don't get to see any of it. We're only popping in on it like twice. I know. I just want to so- see it at Hogwarts. <laughs> God damn it. That's the frustrating well, part see, of this the movie. Is like, that's the two there's movies. There's like a couple of good movies like buried inside, but like Johnny Depp is I there. think. I yes. think the fall, the fall of Leader Lestrange and the call to arms of, uh, Newt's commander, uh, like that you can't just sit this one out. You have to choose a side. Right. That's a, I think that's a good story. The, all the Credence stuff, like I honestly think Credence should have disappeared for a whole movie and we don't, sure. you know, make him the brand well, no, star. No, no. I'd say I, I want to pitch. I pitched the reverse. This is Fantastic Beasts. So this movie is. Newt goes to help a uh, underground Parisian yeah. circus and happens across Tina, who's been hunting sure. Credence. Dumbledore and Grindelwald don't belong in this movie whatsoever. The Newt chooses a side thing has to be after presumably whatever happens at this Paris thing, because there really isn't like a war yet. And like Lena is his snapping m- point, I guess. Uh, at the end so it's like we didn't even need him to well, choose a side in this movie this we movie didn't really need anybody to, to choose a side because as much as this things. movie's about newt finally choosing to fight um he's on a side he's just doing whatever dumbledore tells him to do so he's already a soldier in yeah, dumbledore's war so dumbledore's army i think is what you want to say um yeah no, <laughs> um, if we want to no, put a fine point on uh, um uh, Here's here's a here's an opportunity that I feel like the the film really missed. You have um Newt Scamander who is like by by my reading by most readings like a character who is very much on the spectrum, right? Very much. Like yeah. like kid, and uh, and played extremely thoughtfully and well by Eddie Redmayne, I, which is I, why I, I think it works. I think so. I think so. I think Eddie Redmayne's great and I think it's a really beautiful portrayal of someone on the spectrum like in the ways in which like um you know, Drax is hailed as like an, uh, you know, a spectrum hero from Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that News Commander is like a cool example of a spectrum hero in this, in this story. But, you know, people less familiar with like the qualities of being on the spectrum might not realize that like physical affection is probably very hard for Newt Scamander because like, I don't think the, sh- the films have underlined that at all, but that is like a, a, a characteristic of being on the spectrum. And like, he has this throwaway line where he talks about his brother and he's like, yeah, he's a hugger. And the, like, it's a really, it's a throwaway line. And the implication is like, he's a hugger. I'm not. But like, if you follow those threads at the end, when he hugs his brother, when he offers a hug to his brother, which I think is like the supposed to be the emotional high point of the film um that should matter much more it should be seen as this huge sacrifice newt is hugging his brother something that he is not comfortable with because this is such a big moment for them and the movie in my opinion throws that away in a sea of like blue cgi fire a crazy nicholas Wamel cameo um just a bunch of like gobbledygook nonsense as they're trying to escape from uh Grindelwald like a, a sequence that just seems like edited beyond comprehension to me and and it's frustrating because like I agree with you guys I think there are good a good two good three good movies hiding in here that are all jammed together in a way that doesn't work for me at all and I will say this um Dan yeah. Fogler probably gives his best performance of his life in the last like in <laughs> what I like to call the destruction of Jacob at the end where Jacob as a character basically 
just watches his the love of his life decide to be evil for what is not entirely clear, especially to him, as to why it's happening. Um, that he really acted out sort of me at the end of that movie, where I was like, I feel cru- I feel crushed, but also yeah. what? <laughs> I like a couple of things, and like Queenie not only like goes to dark side, but immediately it seems in in the end, in the coda becomes like his right hand woman. Like I assume yeah, I she's she gonna be nice. she's gonna be in the number two slot, like starting with the next movie, which is like it's it makes sense from a you need more people on the other side that we identify. God, but, like, I really I guess take, I really didn't understand any of their story. To like, take a it franchise a favorite, like too. yeah, to take a franchise favorite like Queenie and just be like, yep, she's evil now. Bye, uh, is bananas. Um, well, and they start her off with doing like like uh, putting a love spell on Jacob to like get him yeah. to marry, and he's like. Yeah, no, that the, they could have left those two characters out of the movie, and I think it probably would have been better. But I like <laughs> as much I don't as know. I like both of those characters. Yeah. Like um, whatever they try to do with them, just I don't. It doesn't matter. But the question, I, the question I wanted to ask Dave, who I think knows more about Harry Potter than either Neil or I do, even as much as we know, for sure, more like, than me. Um, when you have a movie like this that that starts with Grindelwald's people killing a, a cute, plump blonde baby. And ends with Lita Lestrange's revelation that she, like, passively killed her brother, another baby. When you bookend a movie with two dead babies, um, is this the Wizarding World of Harry Potter anymore? Like, out, what, who is this movie for? What is this tone we're striking for, striving for? Is this kid friendly, in fact, at all? Um, no, and that's kind of its problem. The Harry Potter books thematically grow along with you, and then so do the movies, thanks in part to, you know, the brilliant decision to switch up directors in the middle for a little bit, so everything kind of feels like a new installment. This, it's not Yates's fault, because, the yeah, it's... She's backpedaling her way into a Hitler apologist series. It's it's a bad decision on how to frame it. Um, it's I'm gonna say sort of it it it's a, like a pre Disney concept of franchising decision where you tried to do something and it didn't exactly work, so you better backpedal into what you think everybody wants. She could have just not made a Fantastic Beast 2 and we could have just gotten another entry in Grindelwald and Dumbledore. And then we could have gotten a Fantastic Beast 2 and it's like Newton Africa and she could have, you know, written another culture oh, of wizards or something. Like, I, I, that's, I mean, that's not necessarily what we want, but the point is this all don't have to be the same thing. I think, like, somewhere in her mind, she's not world building. She's building, like, these stories she wants to tell. And that's a lot less interesting. So basically, we've this entire movie series is going to take us uh, through World War II, 1945-ish. That's, let's call it like Generation 1. We're going to skip Generation 2, which is Harry's po- father and Padfoot and Prongs and all that. That's all not there because we got hints of it in its Snape. And then Harry Potter's Generation 3 and then Cursed Child's generation four but by that point they've allowed time travel into their universe sort of so there's already all these stories that could expand 
um, and don't necessarily need more embellishing to expand. It's just so puzzling that she decided uh, that, you know, her world wasn't strong enough that she has to go back. It really, it looks like not confidence because if you remember when Fantastic Beasts came out, we got a whole bunch of world building documents about the different wizarding schools. We got a whole American school and some lore behind that. But we got world building stuff. This feels uh, Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its tail. That's that's what this it, like, is. Yeah, I, I agree with you that uh, like, it feels to, and like I have no evidence for this, but it feels to me like the first film was one thing, and it did like pretty well at the box office. But maybe they wanted it to do even more or something like that, and and that the 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 move to include like young Dumbledore and all like it feels like a pivot doesn't it like I don't have any evidence that they rewrote the franchise to make it more connected and more pivoted towards characters we already knew but um it, it like it, my sense is that you know and, and I hate to like offer that up as evidence but like that's what it feels like and, and it just like that seems like that feels like a mistake to me and what's you know something else that i want to say is that um i i know that our listeners who are in our patreon slack already know this because i talked about it a little bit in there this week but like i went to my old middle school last week to give a presentation on i don't know how to become a podcaster and a writer i don't know whatever and um i talked to um <laughs> I talked to a bunch of seventh graders for like a couple hours and we were talking about like Avengers and Star Wars and Game of Thrones and all this sort of stuff. And, and one thing they really wanted to talk about actually were these Harry Potter sequels and they, uh, almost to a person hated them, hated Chris Child, hated first Fantastic Beasts. We're not looking forward to this Fantastic Beast had a lot to say about like JK Rowling is like, uh, uh, like this is a money grab. This is a sellout. How they, you know, they just like, they were so, like repulsed by all of this, you know, and these are kids who were like born right in the heat of the Harry Potter era, like, you know, and, and they're just like rejecting this whole narrative. So it's not just like those of us who are adults and like are cynical about sequels. Like these are kids who should still in theory be open to the idea of more of a franchise that they like. Um, Maybe, maybe, because having gone to see The Phantom Menace in 1999 and having that happen to me, there is something about something that was released right as you were born that you're raised with as canon that none of these are going to be good to them. I mean, I hate to steer seventh graders who may be listening to this because Joanna just came and talked to you. I don't know. I don't I'm know sorry. doomed to be disappointed. <laughs> I think, no, but like, if you talk to kids who were young enough, when the pre, when the Star Wars prequels came out, they loved the Star Wars prequels, you know? So, like, yeah, right. seventh grade is maybe, like, a little too old to still have that, like, wide-eyed wonder. Or maybe if I had gone to talk to, like, third graders, they would have been like, I love Newt. Who doesn't love Newt? But, like, who doesn't love Newt and some <laughs> nifflers? But, like, yeah, why but why, Corvus have to but why are the third, the third graders, graders going to see this dead baby, movie, dead baby Nazi movie, like, is my question. Like, I, exactly. um, I want you guys to know that I'm saving several Nazi questions for the next segment. I'm just just putting it out there. Oh yeah, we should actually probably move into that. So there's we're gonna do a second section to talk about uh, like what now because we because that's a big question with this movie (laughs) whether we like it or not. (laughs) Yes, indeed. What are we doing? Names. Okay. All right. We're back. We're gonna we're gonna do the thing that we do. Um, 
you know, every week. Uh, it's a little bit longer this week. We're going to read some names from our Patreon small council because this is our last episode of the month, technically, which is a big deal. We're, uh, spoiler alert, we're off next week. So you guys didn't know that. Anyway, here are the people that we would like to thank. Starting with Phil Jackie, Christopher J. McTair, Iski I, Holly Hunt, Corey Hume, Taylor Hughes, Spencer Howard, Melissa Horsefall, Stephanie Hoffman, Corey Hilsey, Ralph Helm, James Heath, Thomas Hankins, Tyler Henan, maybe, Louise Hallam Collins, Amy H., Jennifer Gustafson, Fiona Grimm, Russell Griffin, Abby Greiner, Kelly Grady, Aaron Gowarik, William Goodman, Amy Gomez, Anthony Goal, Saquon Gatling, Josh Froschizer, Cameron Fowler, Eve Fontelay, Tommy Fitzgerald, Michael Filippini, Aubrey Iyer, Sarah Ellis, Philip Durrett, and Ruby Durham. Uh, the name section is a little long this week. I just want to let you guys know we have a plan to change how we do the names starting in 2019. So we have a fix upcoming. Thank you for bearing with. I know we've had some feedback on this. So I want to thank Cody Drygreaves, Jennifer Dostal, Emily Donahue, Jen Dolph, Derek Dock, Kate Dilligan, Lauren Dillard, Josh Dillard, Debbie Denise, Patricia Delane, Kurt Daniel Klein, Luan, yep, DeMello, Carrie D-, D. King, Nathan Critchfield, Maggie Craddock, David Cox, um, Mariana Quato, Sean Cosme, Eleanor Corkish, Jose Cordova, James Cooper, Sam Cohen, Dan Cleland, Timothy Clayton, Ellen Chen, Lauren Chafalo, Sarah Carmichael, Matt Campbell, Jen Calhoun, Amy Calhoun, Reginator Cakes, Sophie Maya, Joel Bailey, Joel, Joel Bailey, and Moira Burke. Thank you guys so much. And thank you to Daniel Baltimus, <laughs> DJ Empirical, Billy Bosky, Nathan Bodnar, Randy Blash, Liz Bisline, Michael Bilitsky, Brown... Bronwyn Beck. I had to stop there because I thought it was a first name, last name thing. Bronwyn Beck, James Barda, Derek Bachman, Tanya Andrenshum, Ryan Allwood, Rachel Aluli, Annie AK, Sam Adolfo, David Adams, Elise Abschutz, Kendall Abernathy, Sam, Gate Cruel Girl, Bria, Lytherion, G, Dre, Warpstone, Ajax, this is my Fortnite team, Brittany, Sean, Dumb Targets, <laughs> Nate, Jules, Texas, or Jules TX, I'm going to assume it's Jules Texas, Great on Toast, Jocelyn, Aaron, and Jaburly. Thank you guys so much. You make the show possible, and you definitely made it possible the month of November. All right, Joanna, do you want to guess uh, if there is actually another Dumbledore brother? I say no. Like, there's no way it would not have been mentioned. So, um, an alternative theory. So my friend who, like, loves making crackpot theories um, mm-hmm. called me last night to talk to me about Fantastic Beasts. Oh, okay, good. I'm going to... I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna hoping that this crackpot friend also has my crackpot idea. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I don't know if the timeline lines up. I think it does. Uh, but this person thinks that Credence is actually, uh, Grindelwald's son, uh, or was created, created somehow by Grindelwald is Grindelwald's son. Um, and like, and, uh, something about, uh, an obscurial, am I saying that right? Obscurial, um, 
is mm-hmm. is born out of like lack of love, like neglect, right? Basically, being love being withheld from them. And so this idea that Grindelwald somehow intentionally created Credence as like this atomic bomb of like frustration and lack of love to try to blow up uh you know Dumbledore. And I mean it makes sense to me. Like, I feel like Dumbledore, like, you know, the whole Harry Potter, the thing that saves Harry Potter in the end is like the love of his parents, stuff like that. So the fact that like Credence is a lack of love bomb versus Dumbledore will be some kind of, you know, <laughs> love bomb, uh, you know, is, is an interesting thing to be headed towards possibly maybe. Um, but once again, I don't know if that timeline necessarily lines up, but I do not think that that is a another Skywalker. no, what do you think? Um, I think that it is a child that inherited the Dumbledore Obscurial. From his sister? Mm. Yes. Yeah, so there are all these new prophecies that are referenced in this movie, uh, or poems, if you're Tina, uh, that are all about, they think uh, the sister... Uh, Corvus, uh, Corvus's sister, yeah. Letta. Yeah. But it's actually all those prophecies are about Credence, who was born as a sacrificial being to take on the Obscurial. Uh, and so that the I, I like the idea that it's Grindelwald's actual child. Um, that that's where the Aurelius part comes from. But I also don't put it completely out of the idea that they created a doomed child because Dumbledore loves dooming children rather than dealing with the sure problems. Does. So uh, I, I kind of feel like Credence has taken on the Obscurial and the blood pact was made after the duel that killed um, his sister and sent Aber- Aberforth uh, off into nowhere's land. Uh, to be a hermit and then eventually run Hogsmeade. Wait, so the Hogshead. Uh, was Ariana uh, definitely an Obscurial? No, that's something that the fans have brought across since Fantastic Beasts came out. I don't think it's been confirmed 100% that she's an Obscurial, um, but we don't actually know. A, th- sorry, oh, this is sorry. a description I'm reading off of Pottermore about Ariana Dumbledore, their sister, who says who, she was attacked when she was like six. She died when she was 14. But between like the ages of six and 14, uh, she's mentally unstable, afraid to perform magic. Her powers turn inward, which is extremely dangerous. Aberforth describes her as mostly sweet and scared and harmless. But when she was upset or angry, magic would explode out of her and she becomes strange and dangerous. Sounds like an obscurial to me. If it's not an obscurial, I don't see so, the point of creating two different things that are so similar, you know? Right. So timeline wise, she and her mother go away. Her uh Percival, the dad, attacks the muggles that attacked Ariana. He goes to Azkaban where he eventually dies. The mother dies in one of Ariana's fits, and then it's up to the brothers to sort of take care of her, and they go to Godric's Hollow, which is where Dumbledore meets Grindelwald. So I don't think the whole mom dying is even something Grindelwald would have been part of, but he would have been part of Dumbledore's life in this time period where if they were trying to look for a way, not only were they looking for the Deathly Hollows, but if they were trying to look for a way to save Ariana's life because the Obscurial feeds on a life force, that would have been the perfect time to conjure up a cursed Honestly, child. like maybe that uh, they, that they together curse this child in order to save Ariana 
and like it was a bridge too far and that's what made Dumbledore and Grindelwald part ways is like the the guilt that Dumbledore well, think- has over what he did to Credence. So they get in like a three-way fight where like they all die or where Ariana dies and nobody knows who cast the curse. If it was Aberforth, Albus or Grindelwald after that, they have to make the blood pact. Otherwise the blood pact is meaningless. If you could just fight each other whenever right. you want. So something had to happen that that wasn't the falling out that Grindelwald and Dumbledore had because they made a blood pact after his sister died. So something else happened in that time period, which I'm assuming is what we're actually going to be investigating in this movie series that I'm also assuming at this point involves Credence because he gets Fox. So he at least has something magically magic recognizes as Dumbledore and the Obscurial makes the most sense because it doesn't make sense that the dad would have an Azkaban child just mathematically because according to the screenplay, Corvus drowns in 1901, so there, there you go in terms of timing. Uh, that, then that point, uh, Dumbledore's mom's already dead, and we don't know why he's on a boat to America either. Nobody even brings that up in yeah. the first place, or who drowned drowned with him. So the idea that this is a Dumbledore, but not like a biological Dumbledore, uh, I think feels a lot more. So like, uh, you know how. Uh, the idea that a Horcrux could be fracturing yeah. a soul, that instead the Obscurial is like, but your pain lives on long after yeah. you and is, uh, you know, continues to wreak havoc on your family, sounds like a really good theme that I would love explored if it didn't also sort of make, like, weren't Nazis also kind of right? Was like kind of baked into it. Okay, I have right. some Nazi thoughts when you guys are ready. Well, just really quickly, that... that- yes, go that ties back Dave into like our perceived theme of 2018, which is uh, inherited trauma, right? Trauma passed down through the generations. Mm-hmm. And so like if, if credence is the manifestation of a trauma that the Dumbledore is never quite fully reckoned with, like, you know, come, come to like, you know, reckon. Um, then that right. is kind of interesting. That's the only thing that, that's the only thing that makes me feel better about Dumbledore seeing Grindelwald in the mirror of Irised, because that also doesn't make any sense to me regarding how magic rules work. I thought he saw him because uh, of uh, gay stuff. Well, yes, but we it's heavily implied by Harry Potter in the final chapter of the Deathly Hallows, the King's Cross chapter, that Dumbledore always sees him and Ariana and his family practicing magic together and being okay and that that's what he's seen you know since ariana was gone uh that works very well thematically in that one book and the only reason as it was pointed out on twitter by people after i tweeted out this question is that like it shows you your greatest desire so his desire has shifted after he defeats grindelwald at the end of what fantastic beast five but even then that means that whatever his Grindelwald trauma is is like greater than his sister trauma which to me the only way that works without completely kicking the knees out of the Dumbledore family story is if this is still the same trauma like he never gets away from that one moment he'll die thinking about that one moment like what what did he see when he drank the potion in the cave in book six Let's see five movies about that. I mean, that's what we're getting. So I guess let's, let's before we, out. before we get to Nazis and I can't wait. Um, but, um, 
Can we talk quickly about the gay stuff and like how we feel like, yeah. I know maybe this belonged in the earlier segment, but like how we feel like it was handled and, um, you know, whether or not there was more than you anticipated or less or whether or not that matters to you. Uh, I guess starting with Dave. Um, I was very disappointed when we got the news that it wasn't going to be explicitly mentioned, but now having seen the movie, I think shoving it in there would have felt cheap to me. Um, they don't share a scene. Uh, why don't we wait until uh, we have the dramatic, the correct moment to deploy that? It felt weird, uh, you know, outside the movie because it feels like it's sort of like, why even bring that up if you're not going to deal with it? But I do think now having seen the movie, we are going to deal with it. We're just taking a long fucking time to get there. Like, I guess, and I, I want to know Neil's thoughts on this too, but I guess, um, I mean, there, it's still a question of whether or not they actually were ever like actively gay together or if Grindelwald just exploited Dumbledore's feelings for him. Like that's, that's, I don't think rolling or any supplementary material has made that clear. If they ever smooched, um, I would consider it cheap that the like gauzy flashback that Dumbledore sees is this other thing. Oh, wasn't a smooch because if it were like, you know, Snape ever kissed hair, you know, Lily, you best believe his flashback would be of him kissing Lily, not of them like interlacing hands. So like, you know, uh, you know, that remains to be seen, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I like the way the dude law played it. I really do. When he was like, you guys were closest brothers and he says closer than brothers, like, fuck you, you know what we were. Like, I really like that line reading. I still think it's really weak sauce of the film to kind of treat it this way. Uh, unless like, Unless the film is treating this way because, like, you know, it was important, as important for wizards, like, especially like school teachers to be closeted in 1930 something, uh, as it was for humans to be closeted in 1930 something. So, um, Neil, did you have any thoughts about this? Um, I think (laughs) I can't believe there's like still three more movies to go. Um, I mean, I I don't know. At this point, they should do a whole movie just on that stuff just on their relationship because you know, it doesn't make any sense to me in this pretty much anything that doesn't involve newt finding beasts. <laughs> so they could have done more with a lot of stuff. I think is the, you, you know, the thing uh, that I'm most, most frustrated is missing from this um, is actually, uh, I, I really, I genuinely, I'll keep saying it. I really like the little is strange stuff. I really like. Uh, Zoe Kravitz's performance, not just because she's like beautiful to look at, but I thought she did a great job with her performance. I like the Lita flashback. I like the little newt. I like all of that. Um, I, I can see a reason why she would hop from newt to Theseus, but the movie just does not even, you know, whisper that. Isn't that weird? It's like she loved Newt, like in theory, like she was too ashamed of who she was. And so she couldn't be close to Newt or something like that. Who knows? There's yeah, like, like, there's like why is that? Like, why is that not in there at all? As someone who's not deep into the weeds of Harry Potter, the most frustrating part about that movie is that there felt like there was a lot of stuff that is nods to other stuff that mm. I think I might be coming to realize that the other stuff doesn't exist. Like, these are just nods to things 
that I think J.K. Rowling inherently thinks that I'm supposed to fucking know. And I don't know. I don't know the history between Lita and Newt. Um, And they really seem to sort of skim by a lot of that. And um, it is weird to me. I think the, the ultimate theme, before we get to my Nazi questions, the ultimate theme of the sort of earnest criticism of this movie is that I don't really understand why all of this had to happen in this one movie if they're going to be making five of these. Like, they could have made this... It feels like there's two movies worth of stuff in here. And it gets really messy because of that. So, you know, not great. And then we have, and then we have like, I'm sorry, we said five total. We have got three more movies of fucking around until we get to Dumbledore versus Grindelwald, presumably. Like, are you kidding me? Like, who who is pacing this? And thanks to the rules of the Elder Wand, no one else can disarm Grindelwald that entire time. So if you want to see Johnny Depp fight, he's just going to have to dominate and be a fucking Darth Vader. There's no dramatic tension there. Also, it's Johnny Depp and not Colin (sighs) Farrell. I feel like we need to at least address that. That it should have been Colin Farrell this whole time. It should have been Colin Farrell, but now (laughs) I'm kind of glad that Colin Farrell was spared to be oh okay so good for him for getting out I was surprised how much Johnny Depp just took Colin Farrell's performance and just like put makeup on it like I think had watching the two movies really close back to back I think uh Colin Farrell did a lot of the character work that Johnny Depp kind of like picks up here and then allows special do you know know how much I hate Johnny Depp's British accent, which people seem to think is good. I think it's so bad. He does this weird you slur know? on his R's that just drives me But Do you know that he's from Kentucky? Can't. Can't with that cat. Um, and here's the problem. I think Johnny Depp, his screen presence does come with a bunch of baggage. And I think a lot of people assume that that's just because in recent years we found out that he's a giant bad guy. Person. Bad person. Um, but that's not even necessarily true. I think that there are just some actors that they have that there's like a baggage that just comes with them being on screen. Like you're never going to watch a Mark Wahlberg movie and have Mark Wahlberg disappear into a character. Johnny Depp's not disappearing into a character. At least with Colin Farrell, you get a sort of range of emotions about him that you could have, uh, as opposed to, um, Johnny Depp is just distracting at all times. Oh, see, this is the, this is the wonderarium of the Parnassus three, though. These are three guys that are all about aping a performance they didn't create. So I think, uh, <laughs> these guys are all doing exactly what they okay. want to. Colin Farrell got to do a little bit of character work, but Johnny Depp and Jude Law are like, Oh, you want me to do a slightly different tinge on something somebody else that's did? That's so funny. Well, of course. You say Parnassus, and I think that's a, at least for Jude Law, I'm going to put him more in like Ewan McGregor does Alan Guinness. Like I feel like, oh, okay. Jude- yeah, you think so? yeah, he definitely did have well, like a, 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 you know, there was like there were mannerisms about him that felt plus, like Dumbledore. Plus, who is Jude Law supposed to be? Richard Harris or Michael Gambon? That's two very different like Dumbledores to try to. Like, I think he's more Richard Harris. Yeah, he's got the twinkle. No. He's got that twinkle. Uh. Gambon was more. He felt like a more aloof and flamboyant Dumbledore. But that's. Neither here nor there. I think, Dave, what you're saying is that in a perfect world, Heath Ledger would still be alive and he would be playing Grindelwald. And Uh, yes, I'll take that. And 10 out of 10 Mm -hmm. would watch. Okay. So let, let me ask you guys a couple of questions here about the end of this movie, because I don't understand the geopolitical constructs of Grindelwald's pitch to, uh, all of these, gorgeous smart 
talented wizard women who decide at the end that they're just fucking evil, which is very frustrating for me. Um, well, I don't think Lita does. Lita, Lita is a fake out. Well, yeah, she she's just, a fake out. Lita's but, like, I'll go with you. But and then uh, she's like, psych, I'm going to try to kill you because I love you, Newt. But this isn't like a, at the end, this isn't like a, you know, small Trump rally in Idaho. There's a lot of wizards who sort of decide to go with Grindelwald at the end here. And that's where I have some problems or some questions. So let me see if I understand his pitch. His pitch is wizards are better than people mm-hmm. because they do magic, which is fine. I'm actually kind of okay with that. As a muggle, I agree. Wizards are way cooler. Um, so he's saying, uh, this is 1927, right? 1928, you know, late 1920s. He's saying, if we don't take over the real world from these stupid mouth breathing humans, um, they will destroy each other in the second world war. So we have to prevent that by ascending to our rifle place, uh, of, of controlling both the wizarding and the muggle worlds. Um, and people seem to be into this idea for purposes of power. So, and I guess now that I remember that we have three more movies to figure this out, there's plenty of time to sort this out. But my question is, um, is J.K. Rowling saying that Grindelwald would have prevented World War II <laughs> and, more specifically, the Holocaust? Because there's some really specific Holocaust imagery in his little, like, skull bong show that he puts on, um, where there's, like, people walking to trains, which... I mean, I've seen Schindler's List. I know what that is. Um, so the question is, like, is she saying I that... Just to, I just need to press pause on um, on a discussion of Holocaust and the Nazis to express admiration for the phrase skull bomb yeah. show. Okay, go ahead. Continue. So anyway, so are we to believe that if Grindelwald's... Well, at least what he's saying is that we can prevent World War II. So now... I live in the real world, and I assume that J.K. Rowling's muggle world is going to end up similar to how ours did, in which World War II did happen. So, one of two things is true. So, either uh, Grindelwald tries, and then they, they, they all just kill each other, failing to prevent the World War, or some part of the wizarding world stands by, they defeat Grindelwald, and then they stand by and watch World War II happen. So, I don't think anybody's a good guy here, is what I'm saying. Well, I just don't think we know right. what's... Like, if if Grindelwald is killed... I actually need to look up what year this takes place. I was assuming 30-something. You say it's 20-somethings. Um, I could have sworn it was, like, 1928. I think it's 20-something, and then... Because uh, it's only, like, a couple of months after the first one, and then the last movie takes place in 45, is what we know. Oh, Okay. Um, like maybe they kill Grindelwald and like, as he's dying, he's like, I could have prevented the Holocaust like that. Which yeah. Is- but also what a weird thing to say as an author. <laughs> like- 1926. 19, well, that's the honeyed promise that he's making, right? The honeyed promise is like, I will stop these atrocities. When of course, like what he wants to do is what Hitler wants to do, which is like, he talks about, he's like, I don't want to eliminate humankind. Like all beasts of burden have their place or something, you know, like he, it's like the, you know, it's Nazi rhetoric. It's like, you know, we're not going to exterminate Except you can all marry the Jews. Them. That's the only, know? that's the only thing. They're like, oh no, right. uh, but just, <laughs> you, just you, Queenie. <laughs> you could marry who you, you could marry one of the beasts. That's fine here's, in my Germany. Here's my loophole. So, uh, yeah. So I don't, 
I don't know what JK wrote, and, and I think Dave's right. She may be backing her way into um, some Hitler, Hitler apologist territory, which because I. Because who's not on the for, other side? Obviously. A guy who refuses to fight his own battles so much that he, we now Dumbledore. at least know two two people he's put in, in, like, poor Newt, who just wanted to take care of his fucking things. And he's like, I just no, wanted to Newt. capture that sweet, uh, what are the, like, the, the Chinese parade dragon. Yeah, yeah. Or he's like, life. I like you because you don't ask, you, you only ask if a thing is right. And I'm like, well, you fucking do it, Dumbledore. Or, or, or be more specific and be like, don't go after Grindelwald. I need his brooch because that's a blood pact. And then I could fucking un- take off the gloves on these. Dumbledore, that's what this should have been called, the brooch of Grindelwald. The more, the more the story is told and reveals, the more Dumbledore's just character assassinated to absolute nothing. Where it's like, uh, I was watching a YouTube video of like all the Easter eggs and the crimes of Grindelwald. And someone's like, isn't it more touching now? that Neville gets the extra points at the end of the Philosopher's Stone because he stood up to his friends because that's what like Dumbledore was unable to do to half his life. And I'm like, I guess, but that's not worth half of my life getting to that like emotional payoff point. Is it more touching now that, that Neville's big triumphant moment is killing Nagini, who is like beheading a, nice a Korean woman who did not go with Grindelwald. <laughs> who is a nice lady who didn't deserve anything. Um, the Nagini thing is terrible. It's oh really yeah. Bad. Um, no, I, uh, <laughs> the, this reminds me of when you talked, Dave, about, um, the Marvel movies and the promise, the problem of Vision or Scarlet Witch, which is that they're just like too powerful and you have to find a way to sideline them believably from stories or else there is no civil war. There is no infinity war. If these all, all knowing all powerful beings are actually using their powers. And that's the thing is like, you have to find a reason why Dumbledore is just peacing out. Well, um, right. So like uh, here, if, if you like the reason Dumbledore is just peacing out should just be good enough because she's literally making up magic. Like that's my frustration is it feels like she has this great, part five in her mind that's going to be this you know battle of hogwarts style showdown where dumbledore finally disarms grindelwald and gets the elder wand and it's going to be great and then she started like putting breadcrumbs back and then but it's like the pieces aren't emotionally satisfying because now we just have like three movies where we're like why isn't dumbledore he's like we know he's smarter than this it's uh, it's the revelations it's the revelations of the entirety of the seventh book of the Harry Potter, but stretched out over years of real time movies. I just had a I just had a metaphor that I came up with for J.K. Rowling's creative process on this movie, and I feel like maybe it's a little mean, but it's also in my mind was very funny, so I'm going to say it. Um, it's like she was putting together an IKEA desk, and at the end. She had like a bunch of spare parts laying around and she just picked them up off the floor and put them in the drawer of the newly made desk and just, just, we'll just, we'll just put that back in there. (laughs) No, it's okay because you get all the parts with the desk. Don't worry about if it's sturdy or not. We'll just, we'll just keep all that there together. It's really amazing. I mean, the one thing that I also mused on Twitter when I was initially venting my feelings is it is interesting that the one through line of all of the Harry Potter wizarding world at this point is that like, you can't trust adults, man. You're born, cur- you're born <laughs> fucked. Adults like, bad. 
Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. No, no. The Wizarding World, the Cursed Child is a title that could apply to every single entry that we've seen in this, in this world. Uh, children, man, we, sorry. We, we, we screwed up the world. Grateful for you children so we can curse you. Grateful. Uh, um, my one last, uh, shout out about this movie. The one random thing that I did not understand but did enjoy was the Nicholas Flamel cameo, Ugh. I guess, at the end. Um, but only because it is Branis Jodorowsky, or, uh, sorry, Branis Jodorowsky, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's son, which, who's just like a, it's like a weird, like, sub cult figure in the world of film. <laughs> Who's he's possible, like, like, girlfriend is Jessica Williams, maybe? Is that, I don't know. Are they, yeah, <laughs> in the movie, <laughs> the random Jessica Williams sighting? Yeah. Um, so I, and I don't know what that guy's deal is. He's a wizard. He's what? old. Oh, he, oh he's, uh, yeah, he's a reference to the first series. Don't Flamel, what's, it doesn't matter. He's he makes, weird. The, he you makes how, the Philosopher's Stone. You know how, like, yeah, it's called the Sorcerer's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, Stone. The, Philo- Sorcerer's Stone the Philosopher's Stone, depending on which edition you read. Um, that's, you saw uh, it in the movie? It's the glowing red rock in his safe? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I just think it's good that this time... Uh, the, the, this time on screen, he got some action instead of just yelling, have fun storming the castle from the door, uh, as everyone that's else solid, that's, that's a solid joke. <laughs> um, wait, I want to read, I want to, I want to read something really quickly. And then, uh, I have two questions for both of you, I guess. Actually, in order to stall while I find, um, this response. Are you asking no. if Minerva McGonagall had a grandmother named Minerva McGonagall? Cause apparently she did. Sorry, is, that a, Wait, is that a grandmother? So, yeah, apparently. Oh my, oh my goodness. God. Oh my goodness. All right, no. Um, <laughs> here's my favorite comment. JK Rowling just has too much time on her hands, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Josh, one of our listeners in the Slack, I was, I was sort of venting about the movie last night. He says, he says, JK Rowling dragging the corpse of her previous success and making it strut around would just be a metaphor, but then Flamel shows up. Um, which is just such a good joke um okay so two um two three questions number one does uh does grindelwald say i hate paris is that the last thing he says before everything goes to blue blue flame i think so yes i think that's what he says which is just very like uh, the movie French Kiss. Number two, Dave, do you know why the lady in the, um, French ministry library, like the lady with the cats, do you know why she looked like so weirdly CG the whole time? Like, I thought she was supposed to be a giant at some, like, I was just like, why does this, why does, why do these polygons look the way that they do? So, uh, I don't know exactly, except that her entire scene was repurposed. Uh, Letta fought off those cats in the initial cut. It was cut for time. So, they just snip-snipped a little beast action sequence out of the movie, and now she hits it, and they multiply, and you're like, oh no. So, poor library lady, I'm sure, had more to do, and might have been pinned in, like, not even in the library, for all I know. Uh, so yeah, that was those, weird. Those polygons looked super weird to me. Those cats did not look good to me. Um, and you know, as opposed to like the Niffler or the, or the dragon, which the cats look, look fine. Me. Watching Detective Pikachu before this movie, the trailer, uh, <laughs> was like, okay, set your standards for what textures of, you know, uh, fantastic creatures should look like. So it didn't bother me. The cats are kind of sheeny, plasticky. 
They looked like uh, Funko toys come to life. They did look like they looked like they were made of rubber. Uh, whereas the Niffler was nice and fuzzy. Um, okay, last question: Who do we think um, Bunty is? Because I think that's I have two theories about this. You think she's important? Well, I do. Hmm. Mostly because of the actress that they got to play her, who's like a call the midwife actress. Um, I don't know about important, but like, why does she only exist so that like Newt can leave his creatures and we're not worried about? Well, I mean, them? she she doesn't need to exist. That's for sure. That's like one of the first things I yeah. said to Java after we left. Uh, but like, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who Bunty. I it didn't occur to me that Bunty was anybody. Much like whoever Nicholas Flamel talked to in the book, I just assumed it was another one of the hanging chads this movie had going on. Hanging chads, joke from the two thousands, suddenly relevant again. Um, I, I think so. There's two two thoughts. My friend thinks it's Madame Pomfrey. I don't think so because Madame Pomfrey's name is Poppy, and like, why wouldn't you just call like? Like Bunty, like the thing is, like if this character winds up being someone, Bunty, which is like a sh- like shoved in our face in five different notes and like said a million times, is like a fun little nickname for someone that could be hiding like literally any female character, right? Bunty um, could be a nickname for anything. Um, another option is if like Tina doesn't make it through this, like I could definitely see like Newt settling down with like he's got a backup lady that he carries oh, around no. in his briefcase i don't like it but i'm just saying <laughs> that could be a Newt. use for bunty oh. why is bunty there i bunty don't know it's backup booty oh yeah uh, well i mean she's Newt a redhead like maybe that kind of guy maybe the bunty weasley reveals in movie four. Oh, bunty bunty weasley I'm into it. I'm into Bunty Weasley. All right. <laughs> that's that's better than uh, I think the other options. I agree. Uh, yeah. So uh, although you got me all upset with like midwifery that they were gonna pull like a. You remember uh, Spider-Man Three when they decided the Butler was no. gonna tell Harry Osborn about his dad? No. <laughs> oh well, they invented no, a character that it was just like just... I, I I was there since the beginning and I haven't told you, son. And if that's uh, what Bunty's doing. That would be bad. What's Everybody's all like, like, we'll talk about your mother when I get back. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. That's what the whole Dumbledore family is like. Um, all right. I think that's Fantastic Beasts. We've got at least two years, so we got to deal with this again, probably. So, um, yeah. Welcome back to the Wizarding Worlds. Uh, here's a whole bunch of stuff to think about and argue about uh, for the, the next two years. Neil. Well, this is interesting, Dave. Because we're off next week, which is something that, uh, I guess rarely happens. Um, but we're, we're taking a break on the main podcast. Uh, we will be back in the first week of December where we will be talking fire and blood. Um, so we'll be, we, we got, that's two Game of Thrones episodes in one month. That's pretty, pretty solid. Also for our patrons, I'm, I'm currently constructing some sort of, Neil, because the first week of December is when my birthday is. So I want to do some sort of Neil specific mailbag, but I don't want it to be weird. So we're still working on what that's going to look like, but that's, you know, sign up for the Patreon <laughs> is what I'm saying. Um, so yeah. Neil sees everything but the beard. Whoa. And audio documentary. 
out, out, out. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so you know, have have a good uh, holiday weekend, and uh, if you're a member of the Patreon, join us next week where we'll be watching Batman and Robin. Um, so that's that's the most that we're gonna do next week, I think. So mm, we're all gonna go um, into long turkey comas. But that gives everybody two weeks to read the new George R. R. Martin book and get ready. Well, the only person on this podcast not required to read it is Dave, because that's tradition. But everyone else, I think, should probably give it tradition. Dave, Dave, how do you feel about the fact that you don't have to read the new book? Um, how do I feel about the fact I don't get to read? Well, see, the thing is, if I was going to, you don't have to. If I was going to read a George R. R. Martin book, like a straight history, seems like both not fair to him, but also like something much more up my alley. So, how do I feel? Mixed. I am super happy though to try to do border research around this thing so without reading it also come up with interesting things to ask you guys because i also have to sit on those kind of thrones panels with the obscure answers and pretend like i know things so next uh episode's gonna be very informative for me <laughs> okay i thought you were gonna say grateful but you didn't <laughs> <laughs> oh teed me up for a callback and it was thankful you made it grateful i'm thankful for that uh... And grateful I, I'm, for the other one. I'm grateful that this episode's about that. <laughs> I thought I was grateful from the beginning. <laughs> well, someone will have to go check the tape. Yeah, right. fair enough. Okay, until then, which will be the first week of December, when can people find where? When? When can people find? Where can people find more of your work on the internet? Let's start with Deal Miller. Uh, get me over at filmschoolrejects.com. Get me on the Twitter at rejects, but you can also, like I said, always get my best work at one perfect shot on Twitter. Uh, don't forget to follow the show, Storm of Spoilers, on Twitter and on Facebook and email us, uh, your, I guess, fire and blood thoughts over the next couple of weeks just to keep, you know, some emails we can print out and read by the fire. Um, you could do that, Storm of Spoilers, gmail.com. And Joanna Robinson. Uh, if you want to read that thing I wrote about Fire and Blood over on com, either before or after or during your reading George's new book, uh, that is where you can find that. Or you can find me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can find my other podcast, Fighting in the War Room, at FightingInTheWarRoom.com. You could find me caving in and finally buying a Spider-Man PS4 this week for Thanksgiving. Hell yeah. And the rest of you guys... Uh, be full, be thankful, and don't fall down. Oh no, it happened again.